Hey everybody, this is D Mills sitting in solo today for Champagne Sharks. Hope everybody's doing good, man. Um, you know what? T always does this damn, and this is the problem with having someone uh, as studious and as bright as T is. He always remembers how to do the um, the house cleaning, as he calls it, perfectly. I always forget all that shit. So if I forget to mention something, you guys know what it is, man. Just uh, check previous episodes or something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but anyway let's start with go to champagne sharks patreon i think it's uh patreon slash champagne sharks or something to that effect go there please subscribe if you haven't already it's five dollars a month you get access to all the previous episodes the back episodes etc and um you know we think we have some good content that's uh locked that you can gain access to and go check out and uh, also there's the champagne sharks reddit that's run by fans of the show they do a great job over there always get some great discussions going and uh, they also have a twitter page so you can go to champagne sharks reddit at twitter then there's my page of course if you guys ever want to lose some brain cells going to try to <laughs> follow my twitter feed it's at mdmills79 don't at me is the handle at mdmills79 you have t's twitter page um you have mike's twitter page at black exception one you have the official champagne sharks twitter page at champagne sharks and then there's also the email champagne sharks at gmail.com and there is no more curious cat. Curiosity killed that damn cat finally. So we are rid of that shit never to return again. I wanted to talk to about a few things today. So there's some stuff that's been on my mind lately. Just some curiosities and some observations and things like that. You know, one thing, um, something weird happened to me a couple of weeks ago, right before my kids went on their Thanksgiving break. My wife wasn't able to pick the kids up from school as she usually does on the days that I have to work. And so she called me up and she's like, can you please pick the kids up today when you are on your break? Like I, I work a split shift. So I go to work for a few hours. For those of you who aren't familiar with splits, I'll go to work for, you know, three hours or whatever. And then at a certain time, I'm off for like two or three hours. And then I go back to work to finish out the second half of my shift, right? So she needed me to go pick the kids up from school um, at the start of my shift, at the start of my split. So the problem was I had to jam out and go 10 miles to where the kids go to school at from my job, take them home. They're all teenagers. So, you know, they can be at home alone for a few hours until mom gets home and then, um, jam back to work, like as fast as I possibly could. Right. And then at this time of day, obviously, you know, the traffic is a bitch. Um, that's another thing, man, like traffic in my area, I know a lot of you aren't familiar with the um, the L.A. area, specifically like the Pasadena area, but um, they built this freeway connection some years back and it allowed like all of the traffic, the interstate traffic coming from like Arizona, Las Vegas to be diverted through the San Gabriel Valley where the 210 freeway is. And so the 210 used to be like one of the best, most easy selling freeways in L.A. County. And then... Um, <laughs> They start letting all this damn traffic come through. All the interstate traffic comes through there now. And it's just a, this is a fucking nightmare like all day. It doesn't matter what time of day it seems like. It's just packed with traffic. So I had to fight traffic to get over there. Then I really had to fight traffic to hurry up and get them back home and then go back to work. So I get to their school, parked somewhere where I knew I wasn't supposed to park. I was like in the bus zone. 
where the school bus is coming to pick up the kids. But I got there like about maybe 20 minutes before the kids got out of school. I had a very slim window to work with. So keep in mind, just kind of put that in your back pocket and keep that in mind. So I run into the school, go to the attendance office, and I tell the secretary, uh, you know, my name, blah, 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 I need you to get my kids. Usually that's not a problem. Like if you get there at a certain time and you need to get your kids out of school, you know, get them out for an early release, that's not a problem. But unfortunately, a new policy at this specific time, and I had no idea that this was the case, if it's like 30 minutes prior to school getting out, they don't let your kids out. Like if you come to get them 30 minutes before school is out or whatever, they don't do it. So she tells me this and like, I'm like, dude, you are killing me. Like, I can't be late to work. I need my kids now. So either you can go get them or I can go, you can give me a pass and I'll go back there and get them myself if no one's available to do it. But either way, I need my kids, you know, and I'm not really... You know, I'm not trying to bully the poor lady or anything like that. It was just, you know, it was an urgent matter for me. And so she's just, <laughs> she had this look on her face like, nope, doesn't matter what you say. Your kids will not be getting out until 30 minutes from now. So you might as well have a seat and be comfortable. You know, I can already tell like this lady was going to be stubborn and dig in about it. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I'm already like, okay, I'm going to have to get on the phone and tell my job I'm going to be late, blah, 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 blah. So this little skinny peculiar looking fellow comes up to me. I hadn't met this guy before. He's the new vice principal. He just got hired this year. And he like tries to reiterate what the lady had said to me. And I'm like, okay, dude, I'm not trying to argue about it or anything, man. Just, you know, I'd appreciate it if I could get my kids. I'm gonna be late to school. I'd explain to him. I mean, I'm gonna be late to work. You know, I tried to explain to him, but it's okay, whatever. So then he looks down at my, I have my bat, my ID badge on from work. And he looks down at my badge and sees my name. And then he gets like this recognition in his eyes. He's like, oh, you know what? I know exactly who your kids are, Mr. You know, my last name. He said, I'll go get them right away. I'll go get them myself. I'm like, okay. You know, so this guy goes and he literally the vice principal of the middle school. And it's a fairly large middle school, you know, um, hell, the, the, um, the school superintendent's kids goes to the, go to that school, you know, so they kind of get whatever they want. Anyway, so, um, I sit down, this guy walks to both of my kids' classrooms, and then he brings them to the office, and then he sits down next to me, and he looks me, like, he's looking real sincere and everything. I just thought it was just weird. He's like, Mr., you know, Mr., I just wanted to apologize. She doesn't know who you and your wife are and everything that you guys do for this school and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, oh, shit, man. I didn't, that was not my intention to sit here and give out some type of vague uh threat or something like that you know to make this lady fear for her her job or whatever like that i don't know what he was trying to imply like i didn't i wasn't gonna go to the naacp or go across the street to the board of education and you know demand that this poor little secretary be fired for refuse for doing her job basically right like that was never on my mind at all it was the furthest thing from my mind and so I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's not a problem, man. I'm not, you know, I'm just a regular dude, man. I, you know, don't worry about it. And we shook hands. And, you know, this guy, he, <laughs> I tell you, man, the way this poor little guy, you know, he's a little pale guy, a little, little skinny dude. And <laughs> his look, like, he was just exasperated. Like, it was just crazy to me. You would think I was like... um Barack Obama's brother or some shit, you know, that he then they figured out that they fucked up. 
So anyway, now at the time, I didn't think anything of it. I get in the car and I drive off, take my kids home, start heading back to work. Then it kind of dawned on me like, holy shit, you know, this is kind of like a light form of classism or elitism or whatever you want to, however you want to label it. And, you know, it was weird to me because usually, at least in my eyes, like when you think about classism or elitism or what have you, you think about it in terms of wealth or monetary status or even like educational status, like, you know, respecting people's level of education, respecting their status, their job status, all of that kind of shit. But it never dawned on me that a component of, you know, classism or elitism is also like, you know, the level of uh, deferment that they show to people who have certain titles. And I guess it didn't dawn on me because, number one, I'm, you know, I'm a regular blue collar class working dude. Like I make a decent salary. You know, I work 40 plus hours a week. I don't even get holidays off or anything like that. I bust my ass to make a living. And, you know, in the state of California, especially, you know, we're considered poor and I make a pretty decent wage. And in this state, you know, my family, we're a family of five. So we would actually be considered poor in the state of California. Right. So, you know, by no means that I ever intend to or did I even think that, you know, (laughs) I was contributing to some kind of classist system. But, you know, I just thought that that was funny. And um, and then I started to think back and like these little ways that it has worked to, I guess, my family's advantage um, that we are as active in the community and, and things like that as we are. You know, neither my wife nor myself try to curry any kind of favor or any kind of benefits or anything like that from, you know, the work that we do. But, you know, it just goes to show, you know, the way that our school system is set up, particularly in my city. I don't know about how it works in other people's cities, but I'm, 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 I have a good inkling that it's pretty similar. Like, because I know for a fact that if there was a regular parent or I'm a regular parent, but if that was, you know, somebody who they didn't know, that parent would have been waiting the 30 minutes until school got out, you know, for their kid to get uh, released. Where, you know, I walk in there and the damn vice principal himself walks to their classroom and brings them to me. And, and apologizes to me like I'm some kind of fucking celebrity or something. And I just thought it was the whole thing. was It was a little embarrassing and it was a little absurd. And then, you know, I'm not going to lie. I got a little annoyed by that, you know, because I never wanted to do that. And I never thought, you know, about how the privilege of access and the privilege of station even trickles down into like normal everyday people. You know, let's say, for example, you are a head of a union. You're going to get treated with a certain amount of deferment or, you know, respect or whatever um, in comparison to people who don't have that level of power. But I don't know if the head of a union would be thought of as someone who's who's to be respected like that as a person. You know, they're supposedly a, it's a blue collar situation, whether you're in a teacher's union or a plumber's union or an electrician's union or what have you. You don't think of yourself as someone who, you know, when you walk in a room, people better recognize, you know what I mean? It's just like, I guess it just happens by virtue of who you know and what people fear that you can do. But, you know, it's weird is that as much fuckery that goes on in in our school district, we have never really pushed the button and like pushed as hard as I know that we can to get certain things done because we've been told no on things, you know, that um, 
we have a real complaint and if we really wanted to push it and bring a lot of pressure we could but we just don't do that because we don't believe in in getting down like that but you know i don't know i'm just going on a on a <laughs> on a major little um side note here but yeah you know i never thought about it in that sense then i thought about some other incidents that happened um if we weren't people that were known in the community known in the school community um we would have been treated very differently from someone who wasn't as act and so it, it shouldn't be like that i think the system should be set up for parents to have equal access and equal rights and it's so crazy. It's like it's unintentional irony or whatever you want to call it, man. Like we fight for parents to have those rights. We fight specifically for parents to be treated equally and to have equal access and all of these kinds of things. But um, we ourselves who fight for everyday people seem to have a level of access and privilege that um, other people don't have. You know, and I'd cite specific examples, but, um, you know, I don't want to get too much into my personal life because. Because, you know, social media is a weird place, man. You have people getting doxxed all the time. And, you know, I just, I don't want that kind of headache in my life. But, um, yeah. Oh, and also, we're still working on that that uh, that five-parter. I don't know if anyone's actually waiting with bated breath for it to drop, but we're still working on it. Um, you know, we've been very busy. Um, you know, it's the holidays and everything like that. So, you know, just trying to set aside some time to get it done. It's been a pain in the ass, man. But uh, we'll get it and uh, get you guys the rest of that good information uh, very soon, going into the new year especially. So anyway, man, I hope everybody had a happy uh, Thanksgiving, man. I hope you all didn't eat too much damn turkey. And it's Monday, so no Nobody should be eating no damn leftovers <laughs> on Monday. And, uh, you know, everybody broke their little diet and fast and all that type of shit. So I hope you guys uh, enjoyed that time that you got to spend with your families and everything like that. Um, let me see. Okay, so... There's a couple of things that have been on my mind lately. Um, as a lot of you may or may not know, I am a bus driver. You know, I do public transportation. And, um, you know, on my job, I see a lot. I tell people, you may have heard me talk about this on this show a few times just in passing. But, you know, one of the trends that I've noticed, man, is like the level of homelessness, vagrancy all over the county of Los Angeles has just reached pandemic levels. I mean, it is everywhere. It used to be like relegated to certain portions of Los Angeles, right? Like Skid Row is, is an infamous example. Um, every town has their little section where, you know, that's where the homeless population is relegated to. But I don't know what's happened over the last, say, 10 years or so. But I mean, the level of vagrancy, homelessness and everything else has just exploded all up and down the coast. Um, whether you're talking about up in Seattle, whether you talk about up there in the Portland area where Kenny is from, San Francisco, the Bay Area. It's a big fight going on in San Jose, California right now over what to do with their homeless population. Um, as you know, Los Angeles, we started having our big fight about uh, about 10, 11 years ago, about 2007. Um, is when the homeless situation kind of hit a tipping point. And we started to have these big fights, city council meetings. They'd come up with these propositions, some of which seemed to be, you know, 
fairly good remedies to the problem, right? You know, using old facilities that were abandoned or were no longer in use. Um, some people rec recommended using old shipping facilities. Old, somebody actually recommended like old cruise lines that were retired, like old cruise ships that were being retired. Um, Los Angeles, in the especially like in the garment district and in some of the other places downtown, um, like off of Alameda, when you go further down Alameda going uh, like toward Olympic and past there, there's like a lot of just huge places that used to be factories and shit like that that are like abandoned. No one uses them for any purpose. They're just sitting there collecting dust. And um, so they talked about maybe doing some things with that and a couple of other proposals. Like a lot of things that happen here, there's a lot of concern. But then there's also a lot of counter concern. And what I mean by counter concern, it's like we know that we have this homeless population. We have this epidemic. We know that we have to do something about it. But that problem also causes a problem. And the problem that it causes is a problem of convenience for me. So <laughs> you have a lot of double speak, right? The people want you to do something about the homeless problem, but just not near where they are. They they don't want it near where their kids go to school. They don't want it near where they live. They just kind of want to do something, but not, you know, something that may require for them to be a little bit, that may require them to have a little bit of discomfort, right? And so these proposals come up and then you always have these group of citizens that'll come and say, well, you can't put this homeless, uh, this proposal in this neighborhood because it's within two miles of a school or it's this, I don't want those dirty ass bums over here pissing all over the place where I have to go to my Whole Foods to buy my, uh, you know, my uh, organic yogurt or whatever the fuck people buy, you know, like it's just a matter of having their daily routine disturbed by seeing all these homeless people. And uh, they don't want any part of that. They just want you to take them somewhere, you know, wherever that is. The problem is out of sight. It's out of mind and they can be comfortable with whatever they're doing in their daily lives, you know. And um, so I'm driving down the street. I'm doing my route and I'm in downtown Los Angeles. And there's this guy, I'm sitting at a red light and I see this guy, he looked like a young guy. And that's another thing I noticed too, man, like the people are young, man, like, like they look so young and just um, healthy, virile people, especially a lot of young men, a lot of young women too, but a lot more young men I noticed where they look healthy and able-bodied, but um, I don't know if it's because of the availability of like the cheap high-powered drugs or... I don't know if these people just have legit uh, mental issues or whatever the case may be. But, um, yeah, I just noticed that there's a, a ton of young males that expect uh, like a lot of it, uh, it's not even a racial thing because shit, I was going to say a lot of young black males. But fuck, man, I see just as many Asians, just as many Hispanics, whites. I mean, it's it has no um, color boundary when it comes to this issue. You know, one common denominator is that these people see, are seemingly pretty young. And uh, anyway, so I see this young black, this young brother, man, he, he was riding a bike and then he just collapsed in the middle of the street and he collapses there. And I'm sitting at this red light and I'm looking at this shit go down in real time. And he just starts convulsing. Right. I don't know if he had a bad trip on something. You know, I know meth is like uh, a popular cheap drug now, or maybe he had a bad dose of heroin. I don't know what the fuck was going on. He could have just been having a seizure. Um, but he lays down in the middle of the street, collapses and starts convulsing. Right. And 
the way people just drove by this guy, like he was just a nuisance, like just, ugh, let me just go around him and keep on with my daily routine. Like no one stopped initially to see if everything was okay. Um, no one, you know, you would think like in a in a so-called civilized society, someone would stop and put their four-way flashers on and, you know, at least call 911 or something, man. But it was like, you guys remember that video uh, that went viral some years ago where there was a little girl in uh, China, somewhere in China, um, a little girl had got run over by a car and then, you know, um, just a bunch of cars just either went around her or just kept running her over. You know, it's one of the most disgusting, despicable instances that I've seen of just a lack of human sympathy and empathy that I think I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen a lot of shit in my life, man. But that was one of the most that was one of those moments where I said, you know what, we are really fucked as just as a human race. Like if you don't have the innate human dignity and empathy to stop for a child that you see laying in the middle of the roadway. And not only do you not fucking stop, you just drive around her or literally over her to get to your destination. I mean, that is the fucking height of ghoulishness, you know? And so this scene that I saw downtown in downtown LA kind of reminded me of that. Um, I'm sitting at the bus stop, I'm looking at people. So I get ready to get on my two-way radio and notify my dispatch like, hey, I'm getting ready to stop. Someone's collapsed in the middle of the, uh, the road. And he's having a seizure. You know, can you get not can you get the uh, the paramedics out here? And just when I was getting ready to get on my radio and, and call my dispatch, somebody finally stopped, you know, and put on their four way flashers. And then my light turned green. So I drove up. I stopped. I made eye contact with the people that were in the car it was like, hey, you calling you calling 911? And they were like, yeah, we got it. I'm like, OK, cool. Thanks. And so I continued in route. But, you know, that just that that really didn't sit well with me, man. And, um, you know, I don't know what's happened to us as a society where we can walk by people that are homeless or, you know, sleeping on the sidewalk or mentally disturbed or whatever. And we just step by them like they're not there. Like, you know, they're like a, a bump in the road or, you know, just a minor annoyance that's in our way um, so that we can get to, you know, our favorite coffee spot or whatever. You know, I've I've talked about it a couple of times on this show. Um, you know, where I've seen, there was a club in, Pom in a town called Pomona. Um, it's like a pop really popular night spot. And um, I'll never forget this, man. I was sitting there looking at, uh, I was, <laughs> funny enough, I was actually on my route again that night. And I'm um, looking at this guy and it's this homeless guy. He's, this club, I don't know if you can envision this, but it's like an, it has an outdoor portion. It's like a patio where you can sit outside and it's like a little black gate that's kind of like waist level and you can sit out on the patio and you can have your dinner or have your drinks or whatever and everybody's out there laughing having a good time and then right on the corner is this homeless guy and he's, he's standing there and he's just staring at the people that are sitting on the patio you know having their drinks laughing and kicking it up and i just thought you know what this is a perfect <laughs> this is like a perfect um encapsulation of like gentrification and the homelessness problem and how people react to it. These are totally invisible people. Like, you know, you only see them when you have to go around them. You know, um, you drive by them on freeway overpasses every day. Um, you drive by them, you see them next to the wash or whatever the case may be. And like, you know, I guess you give them a buck or you give them some, some food or something and you feel like, 
all right, I did my good deed for the day, you know, um, out of sight, out of mind. I did my good deed for the day. I gave this dude five bucks. You know, I'm good. But like, what do you do in your everyday coming and going that um, is any type of least any type of agency for changing this situation? You know, and I ask myself that every day. And, I, you know, I feel like sometimes I do, you know, quite a bit. Well, I do what I can, you know, um, help. At our school, we have kids that are homeless. We have kids that are literally homeless, and um, we've provided meals. We've provided, you know, we've tried to help their parents get uh, room and board. I mean, I've come out of my own pocket to try and help people, man, you know, and uh, raise awareness and things like that. But um, it just seems like you're in a boat in the middle of the ocean, you know, with a hole in it. And, you know, the old adage, you have a bucket, and you're trying to scoop water out of the boat as fast as it's coming in and that's kind of like what every effort to help curb the situation seems like it it's it it's uh leads to you know it's just an endless cycle or it seems like it is but i mean is it really that because you see people come up with various solutions to problems every day you know um in 2008 when we had that bailout crisis man like congress you know republicans and democrats alike um, on all ends of the political spectrum, rather the so-called socialist, the staunch conservative wing, everybody was able to somehow come together and uh, approve just billions upon billions of dollars to go out and uh, bail out, you know, financial institutions. And then they even did a separate one for um, the uh, the auto institution later on, the auto institutions later on, you know, Ford, Chevy, all of that shit. Everybody remembers like that infamous scene where the, the uh, CEOs of the <laughs> of the car companies were headed up to Washington, D.C. And everybody got on the ass because they flew private jets to go to the meeting with Congress. So the next time they went back, they all got in, in cars and drove to the thing. It was just such so th theatrical on both sides. It was theatrical on the um, both sides of the house. Um, and it was theatrical on the part of the CEOs getting in a car, driving to the uh, meeting with Congress. And uh, so, you know, it seems like people are able to get together and, you know, if, if they deem that the crisis is worthy enough of their time and attention, people can get together. They can pull special sessions in Congress um, and, you know, pass laws in the, at the drop of a dime, you know, in order to uh, alleviate whatever the crisis of the moment is. Uh, this homelessness situation has been something that's been um, knocking at our doorstep for a long time now. And fuck, man, you can go back to like Michael Jackson, Man in the Mirror. Hell, we are the world. Like all, and all those uh, homelessness videos and all the shit that celebrities used to get involved in to try and draw attention to the problem. They've been talking about this shit forever. And no one really seems to want to invest the time and effort that it takes to get something done, man. It's amazing to me. And um, there was um, like some articles that I came across when I was just doing some brief research for the uh, for the for the show. And um, because one of the things that 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 I'm not totally sure of is like, where does the where do these people come from? You know, we've always had homeless. Right. But like this explosion of late, like the last decade or so has just taken it to a level that, man, it's like unseen. And it's wherever you go. The level of vagrancy, like I said, is just out of control. And it's everywhere. Like it, it, it isn't relegated to certain sections of town anymore. You can find little homeless camps 
sprinkled off throughout the cities. I don't know how it is on in other parts of the country. I'm pretty sure in New York, it's pretty much the same as it is out here in L.A. and in San Francisco. But I don't know like how it is in middle America and shit like that or Texas or what have you. But out here, man, it's like everywhere. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out like, well, where where did this sudden sweep of homeless people come from? Right. And so I came across um, a couple of things that I found interesting. And one is like this phenomenon that I didn't know was going on. It's called patient dumping. So apparently, like, there were um, a lot of budget cuts and things that happened in the state of California to a lot of the uh, mental institutions and a lot of the psychiatric wards and stuff like that in the hospitals. So these places are not equipped to deal with long-term care for, you know, people that are mentally ill and things like that. So what ends up happening, apparently is once the people are done getting their initial treatment or whatever the case may be, they'll just put the people on a bus and, you know, dump them in skid on skid row or, you know, wherever they feel like homeless people are gathered. They'll just drop them off there. Sometimes even with like a fucking hospital robe on still, you know, um, just dump them like trash and, and go on about their day. There's even a case where apparently like um, the city of San Francisco sued the city of Las Vegas, these are two different states, two different cities in two different states. San Francisco actually had to sue Las Vegas because Las Vegas were giving homeless people and people that were released from mental hospitals and things like that, Greyhound tickets and having them get dropped off all the way in San Francisco. And San Francisco's like, wait, what the fuck? You know, we already have a, a, a brutal homeless problem here and you're gonna send all your people that, you know, you have an issue with down there, you're gonna send them up here? No, we're going to sue you at your asses for that. And um, so with the patient dumping thing, um, I'm just going to read a, a couple of snippets from a few articles. Um, one of them is from a law firm, um, Edmiston and Colton. And I guess they do a lot of cases um, where people do patient dumping. And uh, it says, it has been in the news recently that the concern over patient dumping due to recent occurrences in Baltimore. So this is nationwide. You may wonder if something like that has happened in Montana. You may also wonder if it is as huge of a problem as the media has made it out to be. Do healthcare facilities really just discharge patients and leave them on their own when they know they have mental health issues or no place to go? Is the practice illegal is the question that they ask. It says, according to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, patient dumping specifically refers to a healthcare facility discharging or transferring mentally ill patients just to get rid of them. Congress has enacted many laws that help to prevent patient dumping. It is also a violation for healthcare facilities to engage in the activity, but that has not stopped it from happening. Obviously not. Um, in fact, it has led to more deceptive ways of doing it. So, for example, a hospital may transfer all mentally ill patients to other hospitals simply to get them out of their facility. Usually such cases involve the hospital not helping with any plans for future care or ensuring the prop that proper care would be delivered. There is still obviously work to be done. Lawmakers continue to find ways to prevent this from happening, even as news stories about patient dumping hit the news. Some areas may see bigger issues than others, especially in overcrowded populated areas, but that does not mean it does not happen in all areas. This information is for education and not intended as legal advice. Um, so apparently it's such a problem that, you know, Congress, well, actually the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, you know, came up with specific uh, laws. Congress came up with specific laws to that's supposed to prevent this from happening. And I guess part of the problem is, 
you know, hospitals charge a great deal of money for medical treatment. So that gets into the entire argument of, you know, healthcare in this country. Everyone knows the issues, you know, um, should we have universal health care? Um, what good, if any, has come from um, so-called Obamacare? Um, has that helped to alleviate some of this stuff or has it caused even more problems that were unforeseen in its inception? I mean, um, obviously it has, because I guess it kind of coincides with the coming of Barack Obama in a lot of ways, because this stuff has exploded over the last uh, 10 years or so. That seems to be the time frame that a lot of this stuff um, took off. So I guess it's not a coincidence that it kind of coincided with the bank bailouts, with the auto industry bailouts, and then with the inception of the Affordable Care Act. So I guess at least anecdotally, you can make a connection there. But, um, you know, we do know that hospitals, um, you know, charge an arm and a leg for medical services. And if they don't, you know, they're about their bottom dollar for the most part. And if they don't get paid for the services they provide, apparently they're just dumping people out on the street like garbage, you know. Um, you know, on a side note, there was also um, a case out here. I think it was in the city of Long Beach. I'll try to find it where <laughs> apparently not only are they dumping like patients out, they're also dumping people's medical records, like just literally taking thousands upon thousands of medical records, medical documents and just putting them outside in a trash dump, like not having them properly disposed of or anything, just putting them outside in the trash and, and hoping that the uh, the garbage man comes and picks them up and, and disposes of it. And, um, you know, that um, has been a huge thing out here in the L.A. area as well. Like, you know, because everybody, you know, you know your medical records contain a, a shit ton of personal information, you know, so your Social Security number, all kinds of shit, you know. And um, so apparently, man, like it's it's all just trash to these house to these uh medical practitioners you know the people are trash right along with like actual trash which you know being the medical records that they're throwing out into the garbage like they do the people so um you know shit man nothing is sacred to those people man i swear and um so like over the last couple of years we've been having these big fights um in several major cities up and down the west coast you know um san jose just a few years ago, um, you know, they have they have the issue and San Jose is like in the heart of, you know, Silicon Valley. Like that's one of the more popular destinations for uh, people involved in the tech industry out here. And um, they had some issues a couple of years ago where um, there were several proposals. Like I think one guy proposed that they build, you know, they go to a certain section of town and build like a lot of tiny houses. You guys seen that shit, those tiny homes. Um, they wanted to build a bunch of those in a certain neighborhood in San Jose. And they were right on the verge of actually passing this thing in the city council to get the funding and to get started. And a bunch of the residents came out and were like, oh, hell no, you're not having you guys need to do something with the homeless, but you're not putting them over here in our neighborhood. So once again, do something just not around me. Right. And so, like, for the last few years, they've been kind of bouncing the issue around. And um, one group just said, you know what? Fuck it. You know, we're going to try to. uh do something in the meantime while you guys, you know, just kind of pussyfoot around the issue and play like, you know, play helpless like you don't quite know what to do. Um, there was a a nonprofit organization. Um, I want to say it's called Hope Village. Let me see. Um, 
Okay, the, the name of the homeless encampment is called Hope Village. I can't find the name of the nonprofit that um, that um, initiated the uh, the homeless encampment, but um, it says following an outpouring of response from advocates, politicians, and me in the media. Organizers of a privately funded homeless encampment in San Jose say law enforcement officials have backed off on enforcing a 72-hour notice to vacate the camp. So law enforcement, um, apparently they were, they set up the camp somewhere where they weren't supposed to or where they didn't have the, um, the legal permits to do so. And um, the California Highway Patrol came and they told them, like, you know, you guys have 72 hours to vacate the premises and we're going to force people to get out of here and we're going to confiscate all of your belongings, you know. Um, it says, Hope Village sits in an empty parking lot boxed off by Manita San Jose International Airport, the Guadalupe River Creek, and the State Employment Development Department on Rough Drive and West Heading Street. The collection of tents is surrounded by a fence and has a bathroom solar power in a central gathering area. Peter Conk, who co-founded Casa de Clara Catholic Worker, I guess that's the name of the nonprofit, is among a small group of people who planned and constructed the camp, which opened on Saturday. The organized dwelling had only been open for two days when it received a 72-hour notice from the California Highway Patrol, according to Conk. Officer Ross Lee, spokesman for the CHP San Jose office, said the encampment was reported to the CHP on Monday, because the site is on a state property, excuse me, the site is on state property as a parking lot for the employment development department. Now, this is, in the, this is a parking lot that, that was not in use. It had just been sitting there abandoned for years. And um, so the um, this nonprofit just said, well, hell, since you guys aren't using the parking facilities, you might as well put it to good use since no one can seem to figure out what to do to try and alleviate our homeless problem. And so um, they went and they set it up. And then all of a sudden, I guess the employment development department said, well, no, wait, that's our parking lot. You can't put that there. And uh, so they contacted the CHP and uh, he said they began calling local politicians, media and finding contacts who could buy them time. He said the camp is currently negotiating with the city, county and the CHP to find them a safe place to relocate. But there's no rapid action to get us out of here. So I guess, you know, that's a silver lining. You know, it's kind of like a Band-Aid on a cut artery. But, you know, I guess that's something. Lee confirmed that despite the agency giving a verbal 72-hour notice to vacate early this week, currently we do not have a planned sweep to go in and remove them. We're in the process of seeing if we can locate some other re some other resolution by working with the city, blah, 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 to see if there's a more appropriate location for the encampment. So I find that very interesting uh, to see if there's a more appropriate location. I mean, you know, apparently there are more appropriate locations outside of a parking lot that's not being used and hasn't been used for years. <laughs> That's that's very funny to me. Um, it says they have capacity for about 25 large tents and there are currently only seven tenants. Residents of a unique San Jose homeless encampment fighting orders to leave. Hope Village is located in an empty parking lot near Mineta San Jose Airport. The encampment sprung up over a week ago at Rough Drive and Heading Street. CHP wants it gone. KPIX 5's Jackie Ward is live this morning in San Jose with the very latest on the situation. Jackie.
Kenny, this is a battle that Hope Village has essentially been facing since they set up shop here. Once again, the CHP is telling the people who live here this morning that they need to get out. Hope Village is a privately funded tent encampment that's on state-owned property in San Jose, and that's the big problem. It's just south of Mineta International Airport. On September 8th, a Catholic workers group transformed a state-owned unused parking lot into a tent encampment equipped with security fencing, portable bathrooms, and garbage service. About a dozen people live here now, and organizers say they have the resources for about a dozen more. One of the Hope Village organizers says he's relieved to see the county and city trying to work together for a more permanent solution. The condition that people live in is, is intolerable. We feel morally compelled to do something to give, improve the quality of people's life, give them relief from being on the street. Other land options are being considered. The problem with where Hope Village is now is its proximity to Mineta. The FAA does not allow people to live under the landing zone. So this morning, Hope Village organizers have set up a rally to drum up support and to try to stop this eviction from happening. CHP originally said that it would happen at 8 this morning, but late last night they went back on that, saying that it may only happen soon. In San Jose, Jackie Ward, KPIX 5. So there's a number of articles that just talk about this stuff going on all over the all over the West Coast. Like I said, um, whether it's Nevada, San Jose, San Francisco, which I just talked about a little while ago, that um, was having the issue where they had to actually sue the city of, Neva of Las Vegas um, over the patient dumping situation. And then you know in Orange County, same situation. You know um, they had a homeless camp. Over, you know, it was actually out of view of most people. It was like, um, what city was that in? I want to say Santa Clara, Santa Ana. I think it was like on the Santa Ana River Trail, which is a, which is a, uh, it's like a wash. All the, you know, when it rains, the water it washes all the water out to the ocean or whatever. Um, and you know, they're going through the same exact situation that happened in Los Angeles a few, like, ten years ago, where there's a big fight between the city councils and like the the uh, homeless population and then the actual well I don't even want to say actual residents but the residents of the city who own property or whatever in the areas that the homeless people are trying to set up camps um it's the same shit different different location you know um they came up with a resolution to have the people move there the residents came out and said no we don't want these filthy people by our kids you know everybody gets super concerned about the kids all of a sudden and you know most of you motherfuckers that's one thing that kills me. Like most of you people, and I know this through firsthand experience, most of you people use school as a glorified babysitting service, right? I was at a meeting one time where, and I'm going on a on a slight, um, I'm going slightly off path here. Um, I was at a meeting a couple months ago where we were talking about ways that we can improve education and things like that. And you know, I just kind of brought up the the idea of maybe treating high school and hell even middle school more like college you know where you have certain classes on certain days because the students are not you know you're in school you know seven hours a day or what have you going to you know five six different classes every single day and a lot of kids are having issues retaining the information you know it's like information overload it's too much fucking school man like we have certain schools in our district that have a 7:45 start time 7:45 a.m start time and I'm not bullshitting you when I tell you, like, some of those kids are in school from 745 in the morning all the way until like 530, nearly six o'clock in the evening. All right. I've seen it firsthand. Like, you know, their mom is like a nurse or whatever. 
So, you know, she drops the kid off in the morning before she goes to work. And then the kid is there all day for school. And then there's like the after school program that they're a part of. And then the mom comes and picks them up at around six o'clock in the evening. So like damn near for 12 hours, these kids are in school, right? In one form or another. And I hell, I even seen in some cases, man, where like the kid is in school from 745 in the morning until the after school program <laughs> is over. And then they go to another after after school program because their parents get off of work so late. So I guess like apparently the whole phenomenon of like the latchkey kid is over with. Like none of these parents trust their kid to have a key and go home and wait for them, you know, until they get off of work. So like they have a fucking... It's getting ridiculous when you have an after after school program, right? Like, you know, you, you go to school, you go to the after school program, that closes, and then you go to another one after that that is open a little bit later, <laughs> like the Boys and Girls Club or the, like the YMCA or something like that. And then you wait there until your parent comes and picks you up. Like, that is unconscionable to me how some parents can do that and like not see a problem. With that, but I guess, um, you know, who am I to judge what necessity may dictate for certain individuals? It couldn't be me. You know, I couldn't leave my kid in uh, the care of other people for that long. I think the school day is too damn long as it is, you know. Um, I listened to the rapper Nipsey Hussle during an interview. I wonder, was it with The Breakfast Club or it might have been with um, Hot 97 or something like that, where he talked about in his home country, uh, well, well, where his father was from, I think it was Eritrea. He said that at specific times throughout the day, the whole town shuts down and then you go home and you have dinner or lunch or whatever it is with your family. And then you use that time that the town is shut down for social time, you know, talk about how your day is going. Are there any problems? Yada, yada, yada. And it helps to build and maintain that sense of family, that communal sense. And, um, you know, as people have to work more and more hours just to make ends meet here in America, man, we, we sometimes, I guess, we're losing that sense. And um, so anyway, I brought up the suggestion, like, well, fuck, maybe it'll be good to experiment with kind of having high school or middle school be like college where you have, you know, two classes on one day, you know, say one day you have English and history and then PE or, the, you know, then the next day you have math, science. The day after that, you know, whatever, social studies or whatever the case may be, you know, just. And it was funny because some of the administrators that were in the meeting, they kind of liked that idea. But it was the parents that were in attendance that were the most um, hostile to the idea, you know. And I'm not even like, no, no, that would be stupid. You know, they, how are they going to retain the information? I'm like, well, fuck, they're not retaining it now. You know, this is why we're having this issue. They're not retaining the information now. So, you know, we got to try something, right? I mean, um, and I guess that's one of the reasons why the parents were hostile is because um, a lot, for them, for a lot of parents, school is an educational service and it's like a daycare service. And um, so those are the people. But then those are going to be the people that are the most openly hostile against any type of homeless encampment being within a mile of a school. You know what I mean? So, you know, just the just the um, the fake outrage about shit like that is is crazy to me. Um, 
So, yeah, man, that was just something that I wanted to get off of my chest, you know. Um, I don't know what the answers are. Um, I know everyone just tries to do what they can. And I'm certainly not knocking anyone who gives money, you know, to people that they see on the side of the freeway or whatever. But um, I think if we take collective action, which we are very capable of as a people, man, um, more will get done. You know, sometimes change is going to require you to come out of your comfort zone a little bit. I mean, that's certainly how it was for, for my wife and myself. Um, we were parents like that one, at one time in our lives as well, where we would drop our kids off in school and, and go off to work or wherever. And, uh, you know, until one day we had an incident with our son that kind of changed our lives forever. And it made us realize, you know, we better start getting involved and engaged in what's going on because, um, you know, there's a lot that we can do when we organize and take collective action. And um, so, you know, I don't know what the answers are. I know that they can't possibly be as difficult as people are making them out to be, right? One thing that I do fucking know is that the people are there. They are there. You see them, you know what I mean? They're on every freeway, overpass, underpass, parking lot, grocery store, parking lot, fucking, you know, if you sit down and have a latte at Starbucks, they're there, right? So they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, this um, this fake concern that people have with, I don't want them anywhere near your kid or what, they're near your kid now. You know, when you guys are sitting down having dinner, they're right outside looking at you. You know, when you go to a basketball game or you go to the park or you go, they're there. When you go to the grocery store, they're there. If you send your kid um, to return a movie for you, they're there. So is it the fact that they're going to be comfortable in living in conditions that, you know, are are a, a step up from what the situation that they're in now? Like, is that the idea that you're not comfortable with? Do you feel like a lot of um, conservatives feel? And truth be told, um, neoliberals feel that way as well. Matter of fact, probably even more so than conservatives, considering the fact that the homeless epidemic is at its largest in a lot of neoliberal areas. You know, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, those are like liberal havens, right? And those are the places where, ironically, they have the biggest homeless population. So we have those are the people who give the biggest amount of lip service to wanting to support the working class, caring for the poor, et cetera, et cetera. But then you look at their fucking districts, man, and like, the, the level of vagrancy and homelessness is unreal, right? And then no one, people act like, you know, no one knows what to do. You know, we, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the answers are. Get the fuck out of here, all right? When you guys really want to take action, it's like my man Kenny pointed out, um, and T talked about in that in that episode where they were chopping it up together. When they want to fucking do, you know, they'll do a businessman where they'll found, they'll they'll come up with a fucking doggy bar, <laughs> right. Um, and then everybody will patronize that business and help it boom like the hipster economy. And those are just people coming together with their ideas and organizing, getting shit done. You mean to fucking tell me that like no one can put their heads together and figure out this homeless situation? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm skeptical. Right? <laughs> uh, but anyway, man, thanks for listening. You know, this is a little bit different from what we usually do. I just had something that I wanted to get off of my chest. And um, thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Peace.